If you have your Bibles with you this morning, if you will, turn with me to Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4. As you get your way to Matthew 4, look up here for just a second, because I want you to understand this morning as we're moving through Matthew that Matthew's main purpose in his gospel, why Matthew is the first book in the New Testament, was that he wanted to proclaim and make known with absolute certainty that Jesus, Jesus is the Christ and he is the Son of the living God. Make no mistake, Matthew wanted to let the Jews know, but he wanted to let the world know that Jesus Christ is Lord of Lords, King of Kings. We saw, as we opened the book of Matthew here, that Jesus Christ was born a king. That Jesus Christ was introduced as a king. That Jesus Christ was worshipped as a king. In chapter 3, you know the story, I'm not going to hit that today, but Jesus Christ was baptized as a king. Remember what God said after he'd been baptized? This is my son in whom I am well pleased. Today we're going to see that now Jesus is tested as a king. We're going to talk about the temptations of Jesus Christ and how those apply to yours and my life and how we can see that Jesus Christ had the victory over temptation and so can we because of Jesus Christ. If you have found your way to Matthew chapter 4, stand with me if you will. I'm just going to read the first two verses here of chapter 4 and we're going to go through verse by verse here in a few moments so you get to hear those verses. But chapter 4 verse 1 it says, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and nights after her afterwards... He was hungry. Let's pray. Father, may you bless the reading of your holy word. Father, speak to our hearts this morning, Father, that we might understand, Father, the victory that you have already given us in Jesus Christ, Father, that the devil has no dominion over our lives, Father. He has no place in our lives, Father, and we can claim you, Father, and walk this life, Father, without the interference of the devil. Father, we realize this morning, Lord, that he's always going to try, Father, but we realize once again, Lord, that you have overcome, Father, that we have victory in this world and in this life. Father, we thank you for all those things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. You may be seated. You know, it's interesting here. We see that the Holy Spirit led Jesus Christ into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. That sounds like a contradiction to me. The Holy Spirit led Jesus Christ into the desert, into the wilderness to be tempted. Well, Jesus Christ was going into the wilderness, what? To draw close to God, to spend time with God, to be still and know that He is God. He went there to grow stronger. He went there to draw closer to God, realizing, listen very carefully, that He knew at that very point as He started His ministry how that ministry was going to end here on this earth, that He was going to be crucified one day. And He wanted to draw His strength. He wanted to be filled with the Holy Spirit because of God Almighty. But God had something even more in store for his son besides drawing close, besides affirming his son, besides behind speaking to his son. He realized that I need to test my son now because he's going to be tested in greater ways. Don't miss this thought this morning about temptations. God does not tempt us, but the world does. God allows temptations. Why? That they strengthen us. We can look at temptations one of two ways. It can be a temptation. It ends up being a temptation when we allow Satan to win. But when we're tempted and we're victorious and we're just like Jesus Christ here, do you know what it was? It was a test. It was a test to see if you're walking in faith in such a strong way that you can overcome the temptations of this world. Jesus Christ was tempted so every creature in this world would realize that he truly is the Son of God. These weren't mild temptations. Many of us have fallen short with mild temptations. These were serious, serious major league temptations. 
But he exposed who Satan was, and he was victorious over Satan's ploys here. Because of his victory, as I mentioned a moment ago, we have the victory as well. Scripture has a lot to say about temptations. Over and over in the Bible we see how we need to deal with it. The Bible says, Beloved, do not be surprised by temptations. You know what? I think we can ponder this little thought this morning as well. That if Satan had the gall to tempt the Son of God, why wouldn't he come against us? You know he will. And he does. Nowhere in the Scriptures do we see it taught that we will not have to deal with temptations. It happens in everybody's life. We have to deal with these things. Funny little story I heard a while back about a country pastor. country pastor was sitting in his dining room one night at his kitchen table, and he's going through his checkbook. And he's kind of balancing his checkbook and kind of balancing the money. And he was not a well-off pastor, but he was rich in other things, the important things in life. But as he was going through that little checkbook there, he realized that there was a $350 purchase at a fancy woman's dress store. Hey, honey, can you come in here for a minute? Can you come in for a minute? What, what is this expense right here, $350 at Sylvia's dress store? What is that all about? Well, honey, I went in there one day with my best friend. And we were looking at dresses, and I realized that all those things were way outside my budget. But there was one dress there that I just fell in love with that. And I realized I couldn't afford it. I realized that I should never buy this dress. But, you know, for whatever reason, this little voice kept saying, buy it, buy it. And it was probably Satan. I'm sure it was telling me to buy that because I know we can't spend $350 on a dress. But, you know, I loved it so much. I actually took it off the shelf and put it on. And when I put it on, I loved it even more. I mean, I looked so good in that. I even felt like Satan was telling me it looked pretty good. Well, the pastor said, well, you've been sitting under my preaching for a lot of years. Don't you understand what you're supposed to do with Satan? You're supposed to tell him, get behind me, Satan. She said, honey, I did. And when he got behind me, he said, it looks good from back here, too. <laughs> you know, we're all tempted. We are. Sometimes the little things, sometimes the big things. The Apostle Peter says in 1 Peter 5.8, he says, Be sober and be vigilant because your adversary, the devil, walks around waiting to see who he can devour. I believe one of the issues in the American church today is we don't realize the power of Satan. We don't realize the power that's out there working against you and I, working against our marriages, working against our families. We don't realize, listen very carefully, that we're in a war. We're in a war for our own souls, but also the souls of our family and our loved ones. Are we going to war every day? Are we putting on our spiritual armor every day and desiring to stand strong against the wiles and the attempts and the temptations of the devil? Are we taking that time and being observant about those things and realizing the devil wants nothing more than to steal, kill, and destroy? That's what he's all about. He's been doing it from the very beginning of time. You may be here this morning saying, well, what exactly is temptation? This comes out of Webster's. It's the act of enticement to do wrong by the promise of pleasure or gain. Satan wants to kind of paint a pretty picture for you and I that we get to a point where we believe, hey, that looks pretty good, or that would be fun, or this would be enjoyable. This won't hurt anybody. Satan's very crafty. He's been doing his job for thousands and thousands of years. We've only been doing our job for maybe 50, 60, or 70 years. 
Satan is very, very good. Thomas Boston, a fellow, a, a Scottish pastor from years gone by, says temptation is the fire that brings the scum to the heart. Kind of drastic there. John Piper says this. He says, sin gets its power by persuading to me, believe that I will be more happy if I follow this sin. If I give in to this temptation, I'm going to be happier doing this. How do you and I handle temptation? We just read a little bit from the Scripture. Jesus fills us with the Holy Spirit. Jesus was filled with the Holy Spirit, but Jesus also understood God's Holy Word. Look at the first temptation if you're still back in Matthew chapter 4. In fact, open up there if you're not there. I'm going to walk through the Scripture here. Verse 3 tells us, Now when the tempter, Satan, came to him, Jesus Christ, he said, If you are the Son of God, think about this for a moment. Satan knew that he was talking to the Son of God. How did he know that? Well, he's a pretty smart fellow, but also, think about this. He'd seen everything else, everybody else had seen, that Jesus was born in Bethlehem, that Satan knew the Old Testament Scripture. He realized that Jesus fulfilled all that Scripture. Even though everybody else missed it, Satan knew that. But Satan also was there when he saw the wise men come and worship him. Satan was also there when Jesus walked out of the water after John the Baptist had baptized him. And God said out loud, people can hear him. This is my son in whom I am well pleased. Satan knew this was the Son of God. So Satan's kind of tempting Jesus Christ. He knows who he's talking to. He says, if you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. I want to think about this. I don't know if you've ever done a 40-day fast, but I can only imagine you're pretty hungry after 40 days of not eating. Jesus was hungry. So the temptation there was, man, <laughs> it would be pretty nice right now if I had a whole bunch of bread right now to eat because I'm starving. Jesus Christ realized that was not God's will for him. Jesus Christ knew that Satan was up to his old crafty tricks. You know, the Apostle John writes about this, and I want you to do me a favor right now, if you will, just keep your finger in Matthew, but flip over to 1 John chapter 2 for a second. 1 John chapter 2. First John chapter 2, verse 15. It says this. John is outlining right here for you and I the three great sources of sin. He's telling us basically here what the world and what Satan's goals are for you and I. He says in verse 15 of 1 John chapter 2, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, then the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, and he lists the three things here, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of this world. You know, this is Satan's first ploy here against Jesus Christ, the first of three temptations. And his ploy here is the lust of the flesh. What is the flesh? The flesh is anything that comes against us and you and I to give us sensual pleasure. Jesus Christ was hungry. So the temptation here, the lust of the flesh, was the idea that, hey, don't you want to eat? And so Satan wanted to get Jesus Christ to subvert the cause of Christ. He wanted him to circumvent the cause of Christ. Satan wanted Jesus Christ to do it Satan's way as opposed to God's way. God had a purpose for Jesus Christ to giving up of that food and fasting 40 days. You know what that was? I want you to think about the idea of fasting for just a second. The greatest fleshly need that you and I have is food and water. It is. 
We have all kinds of fleshly needs and all kinds of lusts of the flesh that we have to deal with and win over. But the essence of eating and food is a huge... We, we realize we can't go but about four days without water. We can't go but much more than 40 days without food. We need those things to survive. And so it's a draw in our mind. I think most of us realize, man, if I went for a day without food, I'd be pretty hungry. Go 40 days, I'd be really hungry. So there's that fleshly pleasure there. There's that sensual pleasure because I need food to survive. Jesus Christ realized what Satan was up to. Look how Jesus Christ answered him. He said in verse 4, he says, But he answered and said, It is written. We're going to see that over and over. Jesus Christ is standing up to temptation based on the Word of God. That's point number one for us this morning, understanding how to stand up against temptation. By the Word of God, it is written. Where is it written? You find this in Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3. He says, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. What's Jesus Christ telling Satan right here? You know, bread is kind of important, but what's more important to me is the Word of God. God's Word, understand these things. Do I have a hunger and thirst for God's Word more than I do for food? Do I delight in God's Word just like I delight sitting down to a very sumptuous, nice meal? Do I have that kind of delight in my heart? When we get to that point in our life, you know what happens? We come to realize that God is God. And I got God in the right place in my life. It's no longer kind of second string. I got God right where He needs to be. At the pinnacle of sitting on the throne of my life. You know, if you were to travel to Niagara Falls in wintertime, maybe some of you have been up there. Do you notice it gets very cold up there and the falls coming over the top of the, of the falls there and the water coming over the top of the falls there? The water crystallizes a little bit and it kind of starts forming ice in some of those rocks and there's all kinds of crystals up there. There's still a lot of fowl up there though. And they need to drink. And so you'll see these birds fly over the Niagara Falls there and see the ice there, but they see that fresh water. They'll get down and get a little drink. But while they're getting a little bit to drink, what happens is ice pellets and ice crystals start forming on their wings. And so they get away real quick, but they're thirsty again. So they go back. These ice crystals are still on their wings. They go back a second time to get a little more water to drink. Over and over and over, people have watched these birds come too close to those falls, get a little drink of water, but their wings get so heavy with the weight of frozen ice they fall in and drown. Listen very carefully. Because of the lust of the flesh, you and I can keep dipping back into our sensual pleasures and our sensual needs. Get to a point where it sinks us and it drowns us and it kills us. We miss out what God has for us because we're so busy seeking after pleasures of the flesh. Lusting the flesh. I want you to think about this. Satan has not changed his tactics in all these years. These are the same tactics he's using on Jesus Christ as he used on Eve in the Garden of Eden. A little different, so Jesus Christ is out in the wilderness. Eve is in a garden. But it's a very interesting picture of how Satan works. First of all, there's an enticement. He kind of entices us to dabble in something that we know we probably shouldn't be in. We begin in being enticed and begin hanging out a little bit there, and all of a sudden there's an ensnarement, kind of we're trapped in this sort of thing. And after that ensnarement, as ensnarement, what happens is enslavement. We go from enticement to ensnarement to enslavement. I want to give you an illustration. You work in a big corporation. One day you go out to the drinking fountain and uh, get a drink of water. You're thirsty, you want to take a little break, stretch your legs, walk out there, and you uh, get a drink of water, and when you 
come up for a drink of water. There is a gorgeous woman standing right beside you. You look at this woman, and she looks at you and says, Man, that's a good-looking suit, Mr. Stewart, Mr. Smith. I love that tie, too. Well, thank you. You know, appreciate that very much. You know, so you go back to your office, and you start thinking a little bit, Man, that was a good-looking woman. You might not be that happy where you're at right now in your life. And that was the first encouraging word you've heard for a while, maybe, in your life. So you know what you do number day number two? Go back and get 18 drinks of water just hoping that you'll run into the same girl again. Maybe she'll have another nice, look, nice word for you. And all of a sudden that develops to the next thing and the next thing and wanting to spend more time and eventually saying, hey, do you eat in the corporate cafeteria every day for lunch? So, so do I. Maybe we can cook up. What time do you go? You know, it's enticement. I'm kind of enticed because somebody sent something nice to me and made me feel good. And then all of a sudden we have a little issue there where, you know, it's ensnarement. I'm kind of interested in this. I'm going to pursue it. When you begin pursuing in the wrong direction, you know what happens? All of a sudden, you become slave to it, enslavement. That's what happens here. I want you to understand what we're talking about here today, what Jesus Christ demonstrated to you and I. You can never get to a point where you avoid all temptation. You can't. It's impossible. There's always going to be a temptation, no matter how spiritually strong you get. You know what? It's sad, too. Many times, the more you grow the more the temptation comes. Because why? Because Satan says, hey, this person's starting to make a major difference in the cause of Christ. I can't let that happen. So I'm going to throw them off base. Think about this thought too. How is it that we see some of these guys that have been pastors for years, they get on TV, they got this huge ministry, and all of a sudden they fall. I mean, a major league moral failure. Why is that? You know, those pastors all start out by, at a little country church with 25 people. For years, they served in some country church and different churches and maybe worked their way up, but all of a sudden, they got to a huge church and built a ministry where they kind of got some national prominence, and they're on TV. Why does Satan wait till they get big time? You know why. Because that does a lot more damage than a little pastor of 25 people crashing and burning. When the guy's got national recognition and national audience and thousands of people watching him, Satan is very, very crafty at what he does. He really is. Satan has a plan. He wants to bring you and I down. He doesn't want us to walk. And I want you to hear this this morning. I'm not talking about major failure. I'm talking about little failures. I'm talking about things that really we should be doing, we just don't do. Why? Because we're tempted, because we're too busy, or whatever it might be. Victory does not come by avoiding temptations. Victory comes by walking through it. You may have noticed that the title of the sermon this morning. Temptation is only a question. Your response is the answer. How do I handle this? Is it a temptation or is it a test? D.L. Moody had a beautiful, beautiful illustration. One day he walked to his pulpit and he put a big glass up there and it was empty. And he said, how do I get the air out of this glass? It was empty glass. And people said, well, maybe you can encapsulate it and you close it and then get a vacuum and suck the air out of it. He said, well, that's a possibility, but probably the glass would collapse and, and shatter because all, there's no air in there. The pressure is different. And so he said, let me tell you how we do it. He picked up that glass and took a water picture and filled it up with water. Guess what? All the air's out of there now. I think you're following this illustration for a second. How do I get the sin out of my life? How do I get that air out of my life? By fill up my life with what? God's holy word. I want to be so filled with God's holy word that there's no room in my life for sin. There's no room there. 
Jesus was filled with the Holy Spirit, but he also knew his scripture. Temptations helps you and I to grow in our faith. Why? Because our faith is tempted, tested when we are tempted. The world gets to see how I'm going to respond when I'm tempted in something that I'm dealing with. Jesus Christ's wilderness experience, our wilderness experience. Sorry, guys. Our wilderness experience is the Holy Spirit's seminary for discipleship. Think about that. When I am put in the wilderness, when I face Satan head on, it's a phenomenal opportunity in discipleship to grow, to be spiritual, to walk in such a way. I also want you to realize this. The Holy Spirit, just like it led Jesus Christ into the wilderness, the Holy Spirit can also lead you and I into wilderness, but also the Holy Spirit can lead you and I into green pastures. The second temptation of Jesus Christ. Look at verses 5 and 6. It says that the devil took him up into the holy city, set him on a pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written in Psalms 91, He shall give the angels charge over you. But I want you to realize something there. If you go to Psalms 91 and look at the scripture where he quoted this from, this is Satan quoting scripture. Satan knows scripture. And this is kind of interesting. How many times have you seen people walking around out there that misquote scripture? Or use scripture to defend something that we know is spiritually wrong? We know it's an absolute contradiction what God means. Well, that's what Satan was doing here. He said there in verse 6 again, He shall give the angels charge over you. And then he moves on, In their hands they shall bury you. He's saying right now, you can use God. You can use God because he'll save you. If you throw yourself off the pinnacle of the church, the, the temple building here, he'll save you. He'll catch you. Jesus Christ knew, hey, you missed something here. Jesus Christ knew the scripture. What it should have said, based on what it says in Psalms 91, he shall give his angels charge over you to keep you in all your ways. Why does God give angels charge over you and I? That he keep us where we need to be. Our angels help guide and direct us. It's our will. We can choose his will. But his angels there are nudging us along by the power of the Holy Spirit, wanting us to walk where we need to walk. But Satan is, no, you don't need to worry about that. You can go where you want to go because it says right here, God's going to give angels charge over you, and they'll pick you up. They'll catch you. This suggests the pride of life. What is the pride of life in yours and my life? It's wanting to have appreciation. It's wanting to have praise. It's wanting to be glorified ourselves. Anything that takes us off the focus of God. I want you to realize that the temple then, the church today, is a major target for Satan. The number one target, you know what that is? It's the family. It's marriages in the family. The number one target for temptation where God and where Satan wants to tempt you and I is the family. Why? Because he wants to destroy the family. He realizes that's God's foundation to the world, the family. What's the next major foundation? The church. So the two, listen very carefully, the two biggest targets for Satan are the family, marriages and children, and the church. He pays special attention to those things. He wants to do anything he can. What he's looking for is somebody that's not strong dealing with temptation. I'm tempted to do this or tempted to do that. Satan looks for people that are weak in their faith, sometimes new in their faith, don't understand. Do you know what gives a church strength? One of the great things that gives family strength and church strength is the fact that we understand God's holy word. 
what he intended here. But we also are desiring to live filled up with the Holy Spirit. I want to operate in the Holy Spirit. I want to be the man that God has called me out to do, that he's made me based on God's holy word, but also by the power of the Holy Spirit. I don't want to see what I can do in this world. I want to see what God might do to me, through me as I commit myself to him, as I'm filled up with him. That's where Jesus was at. Look at how he responded to Satan's temptation. Verse 7, Jesus said to him, It is written again. I love the word again. It is written again. Aren't you getting this, Mr. Satan? You shall not tempt the Lord your God. Deuteronomy 6.16 Satan wanted Jesus Christ to get recognition and be glorified himself. What did Jesus want to do? Jesus wanted to glorify God in heaven. Satan has his spiritual forces and weaknesses are subtle and they're relentless. Another old story, it's actually an old wise tale told for years about sin. A story about an Arabian that had a bunch of camels. So the Arabian had pulled up camp and had his men set up his tent and he was getting ready to go to bed and went to bed. Middle of the night he got woken up. He was a camel. He stuck his head in the tent and said, Hey, my feet are cold. Can I put my feet in your tent? The Arab said, Okay, okay. You know, another hour later, camel came back, woke him up again and says, Hey, my head's cold now. Can I put my head in there too? The Arab said, Okay. So over and over this happened throughout the night. The Arab finally woke up in the middle of the night, realized the whole camel is in the tent. So the Arab went over and woke up the camel. He said, buddy, there's not room in this tent for both of us. So the camel looked at the Arab and said, well, why don't you go sleep outside then? You know what happens to us? Satan kind of, in the middle of the night, wakes you up and he sticks his feet in there. And then the next thing you know, he's got his head in your life. The next thing, you wake up one day and Satan has kind of pretty much moved into your house, into you. And you realize this. And you, you try to say, hey, Satan, why don't you move out of here? And, and, and Satan says, why don't you have Jesus Christ move out? You're not that serious about him. Why don't you have him move out? Temptation in and of itself is not sin. I think we've established that. It's basically a question. It's a question for you and I. Am I going to go this direction in my life? Am I going to choose this direction as opposed to the direction I've been walking? I love what Martin Luther said again. Very wise fellow. He said, you can't keep the birds from flying over your head. You can't keep the birds from flying over your head, but you can keep the birds from building a nest in your hair. The third temptation of Jesus, verses 8 and 9. He said, again, the devil took him up on an exceeding high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these things I give to you if you will fall down and worship you. You know, Satan here, it's, it's the lust of the eyes. He was showing Jesus Christ, here's all this stuff. You can have it all. It's yours right now for the taking. All you got to do is worship me right this minute. Jesus Christ knew he was headed for the cross. You know what Satan was saying? You can have all this and you don't need to have the cross. He was wanting Jesus Christ to compromise his purpose, his ministry, his mission, his relationship with God Almighty. The lust of the eyes. Do you see this here? Man, you can have this and you don't need to do this. You can have all these things in this world you don't need to go to church. You can have all these things right now and you don't need to write your Bible. It's the lust of the eyes. Seeing these things and saying, hey, why do I need to go without trouble? You know as well as I do that the eyes are the window to the soul. What I look at many times leads me in the wrong direction. I look at the wrong things. I'm looking at things I shouldn't see, hearing things I shouldn't hear. 
Satan uses our eyes to incite wrong living. Jesus uses our eyes to incite wrong living. Once again, verse 10, Jesus said to him, Away with you, Satan. For it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. I love it. How was Jesus able to withstand the temptation? These are major temptations. Major temptations. You know how? Three times he says, As it was written. He didn't say, Well, because I disagree with you, or I don't think that's right. Or, he said, This is what God says, and that's where I'm at. This is what God says. Do I know God's word well enough to be able to stand for him against temptation in this world? Against the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Can I stand against those three things? That is the strategy, that's the tactic of the enemy in this world. To get you and I off base. To get you and I away from God. Christ met his temptations by doing three things. He spent time alone with God. Remember, he'd been there for 40 days fasting and spending that precious time in prayer with God. Secondly, he made sure he was led by the Holy Spirit. And finally, he knew God's word and he used it. For you and I, spending time with God Almighty, understanding that we have a Holy Spirit, a power that's so much bigger than us living inside of us. Am I living in the power of the Holy Spirit and knowing God's word? Jesus Christ got the victory. Jesus told Satan, hey, get away. Get away from here. Christ, don't miss this. This is huge for you and I too. Christ's holy, nation, Christ's holy nature found nothing appealing or attracting about sin. His holy nature found nothing appealing about sin. Satan had no more to offer him. Satan had given his best shot at that point. Jesus Christ told him to move on. Jesus Christ was tempted by those same three sources of sin that you and I deal with today. Eve, as I mentioned, was tempted as well. From the very beginning of time, Satan has nothing new to share with us. It's all the same old. It might be camouflaged or dressed in a different apparel, but it's all the same things. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Understanding the enemy is huge in yours and my life, but more than that, understanding Jesus Christ. Last September... My family and some friends had the opportunity to go on vacation down to Duck, North Carolina. Had a house there. Had a great time. One day we were all out on the beach there, and Amy and Abby and one of Abby's friends by the name of Michael had gotten out there, and they are playing the surf, kind of far out there, but playing the surf. And I lost track of them a little bit, and I think most of the folks sitting on the beach there in our little group had lost track of them too, but all of a sudden, unbeknown to me, they... They were picked up in a riptide, and they were being pulled out. They were all in close proximity, and Michael was taking the worst of it because he said he had a cramp in his leg, and he could not swim against it. And so he grabbed onto Abby, first of all, and she escaped and said, I can't save you. And then he grabbed onto Amy with a death grip, and she barely got away. She started encouraging him, telling him, hey, just try to float, okay, float this thing out and, and float. And, but it was desperate out there. We didn't know this was going on. My son Matthew did, though. He was out a little ways there. He saw it going on, so he began swimming out there. It was a life and death struggle. It really was for Michael. The girls were panicked as well. Matthew swam out there, and Matthew ultimately saved Michael's life. And he realized that, that I, I was gone. It was that scary. 
by this time, as Matthew was going out there, and Abby began screaming, we all realized that, but Matthew was way out there with him, and so he pretty much got there. There's another big guy that was swimming out that way, too, that came over and helped him. He had one of those old mats, boogie boards, I guess, and saved Michael. We can get so caught up in life that we maybe even get caught up in either a current or a flow or a riptide. It's going to pull us in the wrong direction. Pull us away from where God wants us to be. That's temptation. I want you to listen to scripture here. Maybe worth noting, writing it down for you. It's Hebrews 2 verse 1. It says this. Therefore we must give the more earnest heed to the things we have heard. Lest we drift away. Let me read it again. This is Hebrews 2 verse 1. Therefore, we must give the more earnest heed to the things we have heard, lest we drift away. Temptation causes that drift. The current of this world, the riptide of this world, causes us to drift away. Listen very carefully. The church in America today has drifted. Many drifted away from where God intended this church to be. What are some of the things that cause us to be tempted or drift away? I think first and foremost, and take this to heed if you will in your life, I'm not pointing the fingers, I can get in God's word even more myself, but I believe one of the biggest things that causes us to drift away, to be tempted away from what God wants us to be, is we overlook the value of God's holy word. We overlook the value of God's holy word. Do you hunger and thirst for God's holy word? Do you delight in his word day and night? A second thing I believe that causes us to drift away, we have misplaced affections. We have affections for all kinds of things, but have I truly set my affections on things above, on God Almighty? Do I have God first and foremost in my affection? Do I truly think every day about loving God more? That I want to love Him with all my heart, all my soul, all my strength, and all my heart. God has called you and I. That's the greatest commandment. He wants us to be, he wants to be first in our lives. He wants us to love Him with everything we have. Have I misplaced my affections? Let me ask you this little question in reference to misplaced affections. What matters most? You may be thinking about that right now in your life, but let me add something to it. What matters most to the Lord? What matters most in his heart and mind in reference to you and I? I can go on all day, but let me share one other thought. One of the big things I believe that causes us to drift is an out-of-control schedule. I think many of you had days when you realized, man... I'm just too busy. I need to slow things down. You know what God tells us? Psalms 46, you know the verse. Be still and know that I am God. Have you drifted away? One last thought here this morning. D.L. Moody. One time he was asked, how do you overcome the devil? D.L. Moody thought about it for a minute and he said, well, when the devil comes knocking on my door, 
and ask who lives here? I don't answer it. Jesus Christ answers the door. The devil asks him, who lives here? Jesus Christ says, well, D.L. Moody used to, but I live here now. Listen very carefully. Last thought. When the devil comes knocking on your door, don't answer it. Let Jesus answer it. It's not I that live, but Christ that lives in me.